same time, the instinct is appropriate, isn't it? The instinct is appropriate. It's twisted. It definitely is contorted. It misunderstands. But there's something appropriate about the instinct. Let me put it another way for you. In order to worship God acceptably, you must be clean. You hear what I said? In order to worship God acceptably, you must be clean. And as you're going to see today in the passage that we're looking at, the Pharisees are well aware of this. The Pharisees and the scribes, the the religious big shots of the day, are well aware of the fact that the Scriptures teach that in order to worship God acceptably, you must be clean. Jesus is aware of this as well, and we'll see. That our sin makes us dirty. It defiles us. And those who are defiled are disqualified, are unfit to worship God acceptably. I wonder if some of us are even feeling that today. Aware of sin. Condemnation and shame that you feel as a result of that. Maybe you feel dirty. Because of the things you've taught, the things you've done, the things you've said. Today, Jesus is going to affirm this proper instinct. And yet he's also going to correct our false assumptions about the depth of our defilement due to sin. And also correct our assumptions, or maybe even lack of assumptions, about the remedy. If you're here today and you feel dirty, you feel unclean, you feel unfit, with all my heart that Jesus and the scriptures is going to speak directly to you and point you to this reality but also this remedy that the scriptures point us to. How can we be clean from the defilement of sin so that we can relate to and worship God acceptably? Is there a more significant question than that this morning for those of us who are here? Matthew chapter 15. Follow with me. Matthew 15, 1 through 20. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, What 
you would have gained for me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you, when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen? Amen. Traditions are extremely meaningful. Okay? Some of you have your own traditions. Well, I came face to face with the traditions in an Italian family in 1986 when my mother married Big Dave Mason. As you can see, this is not an Italian face. All right? So I married in, my mother marries into an Italian family, and immediately I'm confused. Why are we getting together for a full family reunion every Sunday evening? Any Italians out there? Pasta? Sure, do you do this? Does the family do it? Well, I know, but I'm saying like Sunday night, everybody come together far and wide. Why are we doing this every Sunday evening? I didn't understand what was going on. And why this obsession with pasta? Not only this, but if you, I found out early that if you walk into an Italian home where all the patriarchs and matriarchs are, right, the, the moms and the, the grandparents, all that stuff, Pop, Pop was his name, right? And Granny, Pop and Granny. If you did not kiss them on the cheek, dead meat. I'm like, why am I kissing men? I don't really understand what's going on. Why am I kissing old sweaty guys, right, that I don't know? Because you just do, and that's it, right? You honor these people by showing up on Sunday and by kissing them on the cheek, even if you don't know them, even if their face is dripping with sweat. You kiss them. That's your tradition. It's meaningful. It means that you are honoring them for who they are. Traditions, they play a meaningful place in our lives. And if you mess with somebody's traditions, you are inviting conflict into your life. And of course, you would imagine 
I invited a lot of conflict in my life with my parents to the fact saying, no, I didn't want to do that. You mess with the family's tradition, you invite conflict into your life. And so the Pharisees and the scribes, verse 1, are, are, are coming to investigate and, and, and accuse Jesus for messing with their tradition. And again, be reminded that we're in the context of it uh, uh, in Matthew where there's increasing, intensifying conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. Right? It's, it's escalating. And here we are in the midst of that escalation, and they are calling Jesus out. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Who do you think you are? Why are you not washing your hands before you eat? Right? You say, well, it's just the disciples. Well, the disciples were a reflection of Jesus, his teaching, his instruction. It was an accusation to him that basically you are not submitting to the tradition. What tradition? Well, there were a lot of uh, traditions that they had made uh, and created that went along with uh, uh, ceremonial hand-washing rituals that prevent you from being clean or unclean. Right? Because again, if you aren't clean, you're unfit for worship. You are disqualified from fellowship. You are not allowed to partake in those meaningful uh, experiences, this, those, those worship gatherings, the, the teaching. You were cast aside. You had to be clean. And they, were, they had all these washing rituals to do that. Now, the scriptures talk about this too. But you've got to understand the tradition was expanding on it, was adding to it more, more, more. And basically what was happening was the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders were elevating their tradition to be on par with, equated with, the revelation of God. We've already said that this is an important instinct, right? That you need to be clean to worship God acceptably. They understood that, but they added, they had traditions that they expected everyone to follow, including Jesus and including Jesus' disciples. And so they're saying, hey, why aren't you honoring the elders? Why aren't you washing your hands before you eat? We have no confidence, no assurance that you're not, that you're clean. And in many ways, maybe this is a, a, an implicit way of accusing Jesus and his disciples of being unclean, unfit for worship. Jesus hears this accusation, and he responds in verse, verses 3 through 9 severely. He responds severely. He responds very personally, and he confronts the Pharisees and the scribes for what is at the very least their disobedience. Look at what he says. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God? You see this juxtaposition of the tradition of the elders with the commandment of God. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? In many ways, he's accusing them of deep deprioritizing Scripture, right? Because now Scripture is subservient to their tradition. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition, he says? And then he corrects their false teaching, right? The script God says, but you say, you see the contrast? It says, for God commanded, 
honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Quoting Exodus 20, and also Exodus 21, 17. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. That's what God commanded. Okay? But look, he says, but you say, you say, there's a, there's a contrast to what God says and what you say. You say this, according to your tradition, that if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. Basically, what's happening here is that there was this whole tradition that basically said, as, as uh, parents age, mothers and fathers age, that the children would now have responsibility to care for and, and take care of, make sure they were provided for, right? That was part of honoring a, a, your, your mother and your father. And, and I'm watching my parents age and, and, and even my grandparents, you see how, how important it is to God that we honor our parents by making sure they're taken care of. So what does that look like for us as we are adults and, and even having our own families is making sure that we're caring for and protecting those, uh, our parents and our grandparents. So that's a good thing. But, but the tradition said that if you reserved your resources as an offering, then you didn't have to give it to your parents. You didn't have to support your parents. It's actually interesting. You could pledge it. You could say, I'm going to give this, uh, these resources to God. It would even be still accessible to you. You would just owe uh, your offering to God at a later time, but it, you didn't have to honor your parents by using those resources to take care of them. Do you see what's happening here? So the tradition uh, was that basically said, you don't have to obey God if you're pledging your resources to uh, as an offering. So they developed this whole tradition that that really was in contrast to God's will, God's commands. So by doing so, he says, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And again, I think this is a just a pause moment for a second to say, what is the priority in our lives? What are we submitting to as the people of God? What is our ultimate authority? And all the things that are meaningful to us, that guide our lives, that instruct us, that point the way. It is the scriptures that hold the ultimate place of authority in our lives. Nothing of any meaning stands above that. There's, there's not a way that we can make up a whole other system or add to or add a bunch of assumptions that could uh, enable us to not submit our lives to the authority of God's word. We must beware of that. We seek to submit and obey the scripture. He confronts them severely and personally for their hypocrisy. Not only do they have false teaching, they have false living. You, he says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You say one thing, you do another. Why? Because your heart is far from me. You 
In vain they do worship me, he says, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He basically is saying your faith is heartless and your worship is meaningless. Jesus is hearing this accusation from the scribes and the Pharisees, and he is severely and personally exposing and confronting their sin. In effect, he's telling them, you're the ones that are unclean. Your hypocritical, disobedient life makes you unclean. At this point, Jesus has responded to the accusation, but he hasn't really dealt with the issue of defilement, has he? He's not really answered the question, why aren't you washing your hands before you eat? And so now in verse 10 and 11, he now begins to answer and address that question, and he does so to the crowd, verses 10 and 11. And he called the people to him, and he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. What Jesus is saying is, is that the Pharisees and the scribes have a faulty assumption about the source and the depth of defilement. He's saying, you think that you avoid it by just staying away from unclean things out there. You assume that defilement and the source of all that is unclean is out there. And, and, and the way to stay clean is to keep washing your hands before you eat and avoiding it and making sure that you're clean on the outside. But he's teaching the people, he's teaching us that, that the source of defilement is deeper than we thought. It's not external. Defilement is an internal issue. Look at what he says. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. You can wash your hands all you want. It will not clean you. It will not make you fit for worship. You can wash your hands a million times over. You can stay away from the impurities of this world, but it will not keep you clean. It will not make you clean because ritualism and externalism does not save. You got to hear that today. The source of our defilement is not out there and we don't want it to get in here. The source of defilement is in us and it comes out of us. That's what he's saying today. And I want you to hear that. To do all the right things on the outside have absolutely no effect of you on you on the inside. Very important thing to, to know this morning. Defilement is deeper than we thought. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And that's what he goes on to teach us. Peter, probably somewhat confused, maybe a little uncomfortable, sees that the Pharisees and the scribes are, 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 um, are offended. And Peter goes to him and he says, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And that kind of probably puts the disciples in an odd place. And Jesus responds and says, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. 
They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. He's basically saying, because of their hypocrisy, because of their false teaching, because they continue to prioritize their tradition over the commandments of God, they will suffer under the the righteous wrath of God. That language rooted up, falling into a pit, points to judgment. If you remember the parable of the weeds, remember the, they asked, should, should we get rid of the weeds? Uh, look back in Matthew when we preached on that passage. And, and, and Jesus said, the master said, no, not right now. Don't get rid of the weeds. You might root up the wheat. Leave it be for now. So now's not the time to deal with them. Leave them alone right now. Judgment is coming for them. Judgment is coming for all those who reject me, who disobey me. Judgment is coming for all those who, whose faith is lips only, who's heartless, whose worship is meaningless. Because as we've said, to worship God acceptably, you must be clean. To be clean, he goes on to say, you need a new heart. Peter says, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? I've had many interactions like this, Jesus and the disciples. Don't you understand? Do you still not see? Again, they require an explanation for uh, what Jesus has say, said in verse 11. Verse 11 being a parable. When he says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth defiles a person. Jesus teaching in a parable, and they say, and Peter says, explain this parable to us. And he goes on to, to state what's physically obvious, right? There's a biological process for dealing with, uh, you know, um, impurities. We don't need to get into that process. Someone say amen. What goes in comes out. It's expelled. Right? He goes on to say this. What's ambiguous to the disciples, he's saying that, that our defilement is not external to us, but rather an internal issue, which we've already said. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person. Defilement is a matter of the heart. And what comes out of this heart? If you look at verse 19, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. In many ways, this brings us back to the Ten Commandments. It's a disobedient life. A disobedient life is what comes out of a defiled heart. An unwillingness and an inability to obey God's commands. That's what defiles you. That's what defiles you. Your heart that is unwilling and unable to obey. These sins and all others are the fruit of our heart. It's not the product of our environment. It's the fruit of our heart that is depraved, 
corruption. And even as we read this, we think, okay, I know. I'll just stop thinking those thoughts. I know I, I won't kill anybody. I won't commit adultery. I'll be faithful to my wife. I know I won't lie and I won't steal. And if I've been doing any of those things, I'll just stop. I'll do better now. I'm going to try harder. Just like ritualism and externalism is basically self-cleansing that does not save. It's an attempt at self-cleansing. So is moralism. Oh, I'll just do better. I'll think good thoughts. I'll obey next time. As if next time's obedience, if we can conjure up some form of it, will do anything to change the defiling of our heart based on sin. We cannot clean ourselves. That's the point we're trying to make today. Externalism will not save. Ritualism will not save. Moralism will not save you. You cannot save yourself. You cannot clean yourself. Jesus here is exposing the truth that defilement is a matter of the heart and there's absolutely no possible way for us to do anything about it in and of ourselves. We are unclean. We are unfit based on our sin. So let's not reduce salvation down to some moralistic effort to be better and do better. Some list of three to five actions that can kind of make up for the defilement of our heart. That is not what the scriptures teach. Being better, working harder, trying again. Mike, uh, Marcus Peter Johnson says this, Our sanctification is too precious, and our sin is too serious to be hijacked by superficial notions of morality. Nothing superficial will work. It's got to be internal. It's got to be something in the deepest part of who we are, and we can't do it. David knew this. David knew that he needed a clean heart. And David knew where to go to get cleansed. Right? What does he say in Psalm 51? And some of you 80s worshipers out there might start singing. Create in me a clean heart, O God. What a simple statement. A simple statement. The only hope that we have is to come to God in prayer, humbly recognizing our defilement, stop trying to save ourselves, clean ourselves, the hopeless venture of externalism, ritualism, and moralism, and just coming face to face with the Lord and crying out for mercy, crying out for Him to do what only He can do. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. 
That's what David was. In the midst of his sin, in the midst of his adultery, create in me a clean heart. Not just, Lord, I promise I won't do that again. I'll try harder next time. I'll do better, Lord. I'll prove myself to you. I'll clean myself up. And then you'll accept me, Lord. No, no, no. That's not what he does. He just asks for mercy. Create in me a clean heart. Wash me, Lord. In Psalm 51. Wash me. Wash me. Christ clarifies for us the depths of our defilement. It is a matter of the heart. And to receive a new heart so that you can be fit for worship, so that you can know God, so that you can be washed and clean, you've got to come to Christ. Christ alone cleanses us from all that defiles us. It is not explicitly in the passage, but what a mistake it would be today to point the finger at you in your defilement because of your sin and not point to the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ that He alone is able and willing to cleanse us from all that defiles us. And I want to just, I want to preach that today. I was like, I don't know if this sermon's going to be good, but man, the gospel's good today. That's all I got for you today is the gospel, the good news about what Christ has done and all the blessings that He has secured for all of you that need to be clean because of the sin that defiles you. So if you, if you recognize today that you need a new heart, know where to go for it. Know where to go. It's to Christ. Come to Jesus. He is sufficient. He is powerful. Come to Jesus. Because Christ alone cleanses us from all that defiles us. Ezekiel 36, the promise of the new covenant. I will give them a new heart. I'll put my spirit in them. And you know what will happen? They're going to obey me now. They're going to obey me. Jesus is the one who secures for you that gift, that blessing, a new heart, the law written on your heart. Now you are able to obey because Jesus has dealt with our defilement. He has given us what he need, what we need. That's what makes Christ so wonderful. Yes, he confronts sin as he does so so severely and personally with the Pharisees. He points the finger. He calls a spade a spade. That's what's so wonderful about him. He confronts our sin, but he also carries our sin all the way to Golgotha, all the way to the cross. And not only that, but he absorbs all of God's wrath against our sin, and then he provides for us the very pardon that we need, the cleansing that we need does not just point the finger at our defilement. He pays the penalty for our defilement, and he provides our sanctification. And what that simply means is that Jesus has done all that is necessary to make us holy. Be holy, for I am holy. 
The wonderful truth of the gospel is that, yes, we still struggle with sin as believers, but we have been called saints, the holy ones. And that is because we've been sanctified by Christ. Amen. We turn to him. We know where we go to be cleansed from all of our sin and all of our unrighteousness. We go to Christ. He alone is sufficient. He alone is able. So for those of you who are living in the false hope of of, of self-saving external religion, the call for you today is to come to Christ for cleansing. Come to Christ. We've already read from Titus. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Because we figured it all out on our own. Because we did better next time. Because we washed our hands endlessly with good deeds, right? Wrong. That's not what it says. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. No, but according to His mercy. According to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, He washed you. He made you clean. And renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly. Look at that language. Poured it out. Richly. For those of you living in the intense struggle of sin, come to Christ, cleansing. Some of you are feeling that this morning. Some of you are living in the shame and frustration of a sin you can't seem to forgive. Some of you are living with the memory of something you said that cut deep into the heart of someone you love. Some of you are very well aware of your disobedience. And you live with a sense of shame and condemnation. Maybe even unnecessarily. Here's the deal. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Listen to what it says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're being honest with ourselves today, aren't we? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But look at what he says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Amen. And cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. All of it. Anything that you've said. Anything that you've thought. Anything that you've done. All of your unrighteousness. He is willing and able to cleanse us from. And make us holy. Amen. Christ. If you're here. And you're living in the weight conviction you feel dirty be washed be washed be cleansed as you bring your sin honestly to your father he is faithful and just to forgive to cleanse amen for those of you in need of reassurance come to Christ has cleansed you. Some of us struggle with this. Again, I think that the temptations and the battle with sin 
any awareness of the things that we're capable of and the, and the sins that we commit, we sometimes scratch our heads, especially with repeated besetting sins. Man, am I even saved? Am I even a Christian? Do I know God? Am I the only one that wrestles with the confusion of what John Piper calls the slowness of our sanctification? Becoming more like Christ? We may have subjective feelings this morning about being unclean. Hear the objective truth of your status before God. Regardless of how you feel today, and I pray it changes the way that you feel. This is who, if you are in Christ, you've been united to Him. It is His holiness that is now your holiness. You're not holy. He is holy, but you've been united to Him. He is your sanctification. I want you to hear this. You may hear the voice of the accuser. He may be pointing the finger at you, bringing a charge against you that is shaking your assurance. He may have you questioning whether or not you really know the living God. But if you know and trust Christ, you're clean. Period. You're washed. You're holy. You're sanctified. You're accepted in the beloved. No one can take that from you. It is a inherent gift that Christ has secured and given to His people. It's you. Receive it. Rest in it. You say, that sounds like a lot of emotionalism, Lance. I'm saying maybe. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us the truth. Listing a bunch of sins that defined these people at one point. He says this, in such were some of you. That's who you were, objectively. That's not who you are, objectively now, amen? Such were some of you, were, past tense, no longer the case, not true anymore. That's not who you are. Here's what the gospel of Christ tells us. But you were washed. Yes, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were made holy. You were justified. You were declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The defilement's deeper than we may know or even want to admit. It's a matter of the heart. We need a new heart. The wonderful news of the gospel is that Christ provides it. Secures for you all the blessings of the new covenant. He pardons all your iniquity. And he washes you fully, completely, and eternally. Rest in the assurance of Christ's holiness given to you. Amen? So come to Christ for cleansing. There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go. 
Don't turn to yourselves in your own traditions, your own rituals, your own uh, moralistic attempts at obedience. No, turn away from those things and turn to Christ alone because Christ alone cleanses us from all the defilements. Amen?